Amen. Before you're seated, let's give it up for Jesus one more time. Praise his name. Woo! You may be seated. Hey, I don't know if you could sense it, but some of you are fired up today. Amen. Thank you, band, for helping uh, lead us in worship. And I'm excited about today. Uh, we are in this series again. Can we ask that? And one reason I'm excited is because all the questions that we will be discussing and wrestling with today are from the kids of our church. Okay, and that gets me excited. Um, one of the things I want you to know from the beginning, I could answer all the questions. Some of them I'll admit later on. For example, like who's going to win the Super Bowl? You're going to have to ask Jay over here. All right. You, we don't, I don't know that. Another question is where do babies come from? Ask grandma and grandpa at lunch, okay? <laughs> I'm not afraid of that question, uh, but that wasn't even asked this time. Just having a little fun with that. But here, here's the reality. We don't have all the answers, but... As uh, we already acknowledge today, God does. And we, we can trust him. I think this is going to be fun and interesting at times. And I believe there's going to be growth in all of us if you'd open your heart to God's word as we go to him for these uh, tough questions. Last week, um, Tom Ellsworth was here and he did a great job answering this question. How do we know God exists? How do we know God's real? If you missed it, go online on YouTube, on our YouTube account. And watch that. I think that is a message that you can go to years from now and say, I just need to be strengthened again and trust that God is real. If you have a friend that doubts if God exists, share this message with him. If you're online, YouTube right now, share the message today with like a child, maybe a niece or nephew or a grandchild or your own children. This is a message that are going to have a lot of questions that kids ask that I think adults ask. Two weeks ago, we wrestled with this question. If God is so good, why are things so bad? I don't know if you remember that one. That was a tough one. Just this week, I know some of the families here today, we, we dealt with the reality uh, that my uh, friend, B.J. Debiton, in his early 50s, passed away much too early. It, it, why, God, if you're so good, why do these things happen? It's a real question. Why are the kids sick? Why is there a cash flow problem in our house? Why, why does my friend re reject Christ at every turn? We have these things. God, if you're really so good, why are we struggling with so much? The reality of that is suffering and pain are real. While we trust and have faith that God created the world perfect. That's one thing that I want to acknowledge again. God created this in a much different way than we see it. He created everything to be in perfection in relationship with him. But when Adam and Eve gave in to temptation and sinned, the world was changed as God intended. And it will not be perfect again until Jesus makes everything new. That is going to happen. But until then, I've still got questions. Things that don't make sense. When I think of the story of Adam and Eve and the fall in the garden when they first sinned, sometimes I just ask, why? Anybody else like me? Why, why did that have to happen? What, what were they thinking? What was going through their head when the snake came up to them and they started talking to the snake? I mean, come on. It's just strange. It would have been so much better if they'd been like, hey, we're not talking to you. This week, I, I, I've wondered some of those questions. I came across some old footage of that story being explained by kids that provide a little insight to me. See if it helps you. Watch this. How does that story go? One time there was God, and God made Adam out of dust. And then he put Adam to sleep and made Eve out of a rare rib. And then Out of what kind of a rib? Rare. A rare rib. 
God said to Adam and Eve, Don't eat the apple tree or I'll punish you. And then the devil came along and kind of hypnotized them. And then God went to see someone. And then they got real sick. And then they, and then they hided, then they hided from God, and they threw up. <laughs> How did God punish Eve? Well, um, he made Adam um, sit down and read the Bible. Boy, that was, uh, yeah. write the Bible. He sat down and wrote the Bible. Yeah. What did he do with Eve? He made her what? Oh, a housewife. <laughs> Hopefully that provides some clarity. You missed some of the details of the story. But kids say the darndest things. That was uh, some great footage of that show. But what I found over the years as a pastor and a parent for almost 20 years now, kids not only say the darndest things, they ask the best questions. We've been dealing with some good questions this month so far. Uh, uh, the last two weeks, I've been very excited about this, but today's questions are kind of another level because they came from our kids. Uh, I want to thank the kids in the room who ask those questions that we're going to deal with today. Kids really uh, just keep asking questions, and I love it. Did you realize the average four-year-old, anybody in the room have a four-year-old at home right now? The average four-year-old asks two to 300 questions a day. Daily blew it out of the water. I think when she was four and five, she asked like a thousand a day, it seemed like. It was awesome. They, they asked so many questions. The average child between the ages of two to five asked 40,000 questions. It's awesome. We lose that, and I don't want us to lose that here at FCC. It's good to ask questions. Do you know the average adult, though, in that same survey, that same uh, survey they did, the average uh, male adult only asked five to ten questions a day. We lose the idea of questions. Uh, if you're a dad of teenagers, raise your hand if you're a dad of a teenager right now, especially boys. The, the, I, I know three of the five questions you'll ask today. First, where's the remote? Because you want to watch the game. Where's the remote? Secondly, who ate all the food? And third, what happened to all the money I gave you? The, the, I know three of the five questions you're going to ask. In all honesty, we, we lose the desire to ask questions, but it's good. I, I'm thankful for the kids asking questions today, and we're going to um, wrestle with these. They're, they're awesome. Did you know the first words that we know recorded from Jesus? The first red letters in the Bible, you know what they were? Two questions. When Jesus was 12 years old in Luke chapter 2, it records that Jesus asked two questions. You know what they were? We're going to get to that in just a minute. But Jesus and his family, Mary and Joseph, had traveled to Jerusalem for this religious uh, ceremony. And, and they had fulfilled that, and they were going back home. The Bible tells us they were traveling in like a, a group or community. I think there were family members, and then there was probably their synagogue members, their church family. And they were traveling, and, and they had been traveling for an entire day before they realized Jesus wasn't there. The Bible tells us they start looking around for Jesus. Well, we thought he was with you. We thought he was with his friends. He wasn't with them. Guess where he was? He was back in Jerusalem. So they go back to Jerusalem, and the Bible tells us they searched for him for three more days. Parents, take a breath. If you've had a miscue and lost your kid at Walmart for just a moment, that's nothing compared to what Mary and Joseph did. Three days in Jerusalem, he's alone. Look what the Bible says when they find him hanging out at the temple. In Luke chapter 2, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Isn't that awesome that Jesus, at age 12, is asking questions? 
And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. He's in the temple with the teachers, and they're like, this kid is amazing. That is our Savior at age 12. But still, we don't know what he says. There's no red letters yet. Mary and Joseph would have been very worried. Can you imagine searching for three days in a big city for your child and you don't know where they're at? They were worried sick. When they finally came to Jesus in the temple and they find him, they said, Jesus, hey, we've been searching for you. What are you doing? Look what Jesus says. These are his first words that we know of. Jesus said to them, why are you looking for me? If you read between the lines, what he's basically saying is, didn't you know where I was? Why, why were you looking for me for three days? You should have been able to figure out where he was. And he asked another question to declare where that is. He says, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? He, he answers their questions with two questions. He did that at age 12. He did it at age 30. He, he was just a guy who, who made us think. He goes, didn't you know I was going to be doing my father's business? The way you can also look at that, he says, don't you know I was going to work out what my father wanted me to do. I was going to be about my father's work. Now, kids understand this better than we do as adults. They continue to admit what God does at times, what his work and his business that we see doesn't always make sense. This is where we're going today. Jesus is like, I'm going to be about my father's business, his work. Kids are like, hold up. I don't understand the way God works in that matter. So that's where these questions flow out of, I think. As adults, we're like, well, he just does it. But no, we need to think about these things. Here's the first question. I love it. This is something that doesn't make sense at first, and kids will admit it. Here's the first question they ask. Why did God burn the bush to talk to Moses? It's a good question. How did that all work? How did this burning bush thing work? Here's the first thing I want you to know about why. God's people, the Israelites, were enslaved to the Egyptian nation, to Pharaoh, they believe about two to three million of them were enslaved. And here's what you need to know. Why God showed up to Moses in a burning bush, he loves his people, and he wanted to do whatever it took to free them from Pharaoh, from Egypt. Here's what you need to hear today, stepping out of that question. If you're here today and you've never known this, God loves you. He loves all people enough, and his great desire is to free them from whatever they're enslaved to so that he can be with them forever. It may be Pharaoh, but you know what it's more likely is? Sin. God wants to free each and every one of you, and he's going to come to you whatever he, way he can. He's like, I, I want to be with you. Uh, here's a burning bush. Here's a bright light. Here, here's a Sunday school teacher. Here's a, a grandparent. Here's a friend. And God is saying, I want to be with you and to release you from slavery. He's also willing for a few, looking for a few leaders like Moses to free others. So that's why he comes to them, to Moses, while he's in the desert taking care of his sheep, his flock and says, hey, I want you to go to Egypt. Moses is like, I can't. And, and God knew he had to compel uh, Moses and inspire him to go back to Egypt. Moses didn't think he could go. Why? He didn't think he was qualified. He couldn't even hardly speak. He was a guy that wasn't good with words. He also wasn't qualified because he believed he was too bad of a sinner. Because you know what? If you don't remember the story, he had killed a man in Egypt. So he can't speak, and he's a murderer, and Moses like, you can't use me. And God says, no, I, I, I'm ready to use you. Go, and I'm going to be with you. One of the things that, that got Moses' attention was, well, let's see in the scripture, the bush didn't even get burned up. Look at Exodus chapter 3. It says, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. 
Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Moses was like, this is a weird bush. i got to go see what's going on. Look, it says, so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush did not burn up. So here's the reason God used this bush that wasn't burning up. He needed to get Moses' attention. He was going to do whatever it took to get his attention. And then in, in that moment where he had his attention, here's the message that I want you to hear that he said to Moses in, in verse 12. God said to Moses, I will be with you. I find it really interesting. God used this miraculous burning bush to let Moses know I'll be with you. In 2022, this morning at Greenville First Christian Church, God is using the question from a child to have you hear the same truth. I will be with you. There's no burning bush. But through a child, today, God wants you to know, I will be with you and I will help you be set free from slavery and I want you to help others be set free from the slavery of sin. Let's go. God will do amazing things and he wants to use you, but we've got to realize uh, it's not our own qualities that make us qualified to be a leader for him. It's God saying, I am with you. So don't doubt anymore. I believe God has, has inspired many of you and led many of you to be leaders for him. But you've got to start um, following and trusting God, saying, I, I trust you because you're with me. It's a great question. Here's another question. How did David take down Goliath with such a little stone? Man, this is one of my favorite stories growing up as a kid. Still one of my favorite stories today. The reason it's so amazing that how could David take down Goliath? Because he was a giant. The Bible tells us, real specifically, he weighed around 600 pounds. Not so specific is some argument. He was, either be he was between 8 feet tall and 12 feet tall. So let's give him, uh, in the middle, let's say he's 10 feet tall. 10 feet tall, 600 pounds, and David comes against him as a growing boy. A shepherd boy, a messenger. And Goliath just mocks him, laughs at him. How in the world did David take him down with such a small stone? It makes no sense. God's business sometimes, his work is like outside of our comprehension. At this point, Goliath had been terrorizing God's army. They, they'd been out meeting in battle and Mo, uh, uh, Goliath would say, hey, if anyone could come against me, uh, we'll spare all the armies fighting against each other. But whoever beats me, uh, the, the Israelites will, will have won the whole war. And he would mock him. He'd make fun of God's army. He even made fun of God. And then when David came out, he said, this is, this is ridiculous. Do you think I'm a dog that you come at me with this little boy? And David had enough. Look at what he says in 1 Samuel. This day, he declares to Goliath, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. You talk about some confidence. There was no question there. He goes, this day, I'm going to cut your head off. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the, and the wild animals. And the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear, or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Man, that, that's some confidence. David goes from, from maybe asking questions, saying, God, how are you going to use me to say, God is using me now, and I'm coming against you, and we're going to feed all of your bodies to the birds of the air. Because they slaughtered many of them that day. But how is that possible? What's the science of that? Guys, I want you to think for a moment. 
David was skilled. He, he had trained himself a lot with the sling. He had protected his father's sheep from a, already a bear and a, a, a lion. He was very skilled. And I want you to know there's some physics of using a stone in a sling that is extremely powerful in the right hands, especially when you're trusting God. Watch this clip. You can get a, a stone of a quarter pound and a sling can hurl that at a couple of hundred miles an hour. That's like a whip. You know, when you crack a whip, you hear that sound? That's because the tip of the whip is going faster than the speed of sound. It's a sonic boom, it's breaking the sound barrier. That stone can hit with a great degree of speed and a great amount of force. According to the legend, all it takes to fell the giant is one shot. But for Goliath, the worst is yet to come. Goliath had a bad day that day. In a moment, he went from mocking God to realizing that David had served the God that, that controlled the battle. Uh, David had declared that the battle was the Lord's. And while I believe there was a miracle that took place, know that God used David, who was a skilled uh, uh, man of, uh, of war, really, already with the slingshot. He, he had great faith. And God took this young man of skill and practice and put it into God's purpose, and he brought down a giant. David had trained for years, and God was using for his glory to declare that God was the one in control of the battle. See, God's business doesn't always make sense. You have this great warrior uh, defeated by this boy. And that's one thing that my heart still uh, really longs for is for our church, a very normal church family with normal people to stand up and do things against the Goliath of the world for God's glory. And things that won't make sense through, through people that, that you may think, well, how would this work? It may be a, a person who's an artist or a carpenter or an electrician or, or someone who's good with music or, or you're a, a teacher. Whatever skills you have, God is ready to use. You may think, well, my skill is small. I want you to know David's skill was viewed as the smallest in that whole battlefield, and yet he used it for God's glory. Amen? You're not very convinced of that right now. Guys, God is, is loving and ready to do things for his glory. So the question is, why did God allow uh, Goliath to be brought down with much, such a small stone? To show that God was the one in control of the war, the battle. What's God going to do in your life that will show his glory instead of your own power? Here's another question. How did animals in the Bible talk and why do they not talk now? How many of you love animals? Oh, man, I, animals are awesome. And, and some of you are like, I didn't know animals talked in the Bible. It's true. Uh, we already talked about one of them. Remember, in, in the book of Genesis, the serpent came and talked to Adam and Eve. That's, that's a, a, a very strange situation of itself. But there was one other place I want to focus on now. There was a donkey who talked in the Bible. It was Balaam's donkey. And this donkey did an amazing thing. Uh, Balaam was a man who, uh, who should have known what to do, who, who was instructed in a lot of God's ways. But he decided uh, during one time in his life to, to, to go on a journey to do something that God had declared not to do. And while Balaam was journeying with his donkey, uh, an angel of the Lord come, came and stood before uh, in the path, right in the middle of the road, of the donkey and Balaam. But Balaam couldn't see it. Three different times, the donkey tried to pass through, and the angel came against it, and the donkey stopped and even veered off a little bit to, to not 
cross paths with the angel. Every time the donkey stopped or went the wrong direction just a little bit, Balaam whipped that donkey to the point where the donkey was being overwhelmed with the beating. The donkey stopped in the middle of the road three different times and he, he whipped him and whipped him. And look what the scripture says what happened next. This is a wild thing. This is where the donkey spoke. I, I want you to know this donkey was not born with the ability to, to speak. He hadn't spoken until this point, but God intervened in this moment. Look what it says. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and said to Balaam, What have I done to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered to the donkey, You have made me a, a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. Uh, so Balaam's like, um, the reason I have beat you is you've made a fool of me. If, if Balaam was really worried about looking like a fool, he wouldn't have stopped to talk to a donkey. Think about that for a moment. He's like, you made a fool of me, now I'm talking to you. That, that went to a whole other level. Then the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey? The donkey says, hey, this is getting personal. I've been your donkey for a long time which you have always ridden to this day. He's like, haven't you always ridden me? Haven't I always been good for you? Have I been in the habit of doing this? He's like, I've been your solid uh, companion. I've been your, your workhorse. So Balaam says, no. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. He says, you're going to do something reckless that God doesn't want. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared it. So he says, if the donkey would have kept coming, I would have probably cut off your head and I would have let the donkey ride off. But the donkey saved your life. Strange story. Uh, Balaam's donkey spoke because God ha had every intention to, to let Balaam have a chance to live. It goes on to say, Balaam said to the angel, Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. I love this about Balaam. He says, okay, I made a mistake. I see you were going to destroy me. I am turning around. Some of us need to do that today. If we continue on the path we're on, if we don't take heed to our parents, uh, maybe a pastor, a friend, or just your heart from the word of God, there will be a day where you suffer destruction. It's a warning. But God, throughout the course of history, is all about giving people a chance to turn and go the right direction. Maybe you need to hear that today. It's probably not going to be through a donkey again. If you love animals like I do, it would be awesome to have our animals speak to us. But in this story, God is intervening through this donkey to save this man's life. Could it happen again? Absolutely. But God is much more likely to use you to save the life of a friend. He's much more likely to use your parents to direct you in the, the path, path that's safe. He's much more likely to allow you to read the Bible and say, hey, this is what God wants me to do. It's going to keep me safe. In fact, uh, the Word of God says the one who hides these words in his heart, uh, the, the, the path will be straight. For some of us, we just need to slow down and say, thank you for protecting my path. If you're over the age of 12... There's probably been a day where God has redirected your path to save you pain. Anybody can relate to that? God has done something through a friend or maybe just life that you thought one time was hard, but you look back on it now and you're like thankful that God did that to protect you. Raise your hand if you've ever had that moment where God, man, you, you redirected me, God. Let's just be, let's just be thankful for a moment. And say, know that God intervenes and give him glory for that. 
Here's another question about animals. This is a harder question. I love animals, whether it's a cat, a dog, or a cow. When I, I see them abused or, or misused, or, or especially when they're killed for no reason, man, it makes me mad. Now, I like steak and bacon as much as anyone. Okay, I'm all for that. And some of you may have a different opinion, and that's fine. But when someone abuses an animal, it, it makes me upset. So here's the question. Why were animals sacrificed in the Old Testament instead of punishing people for their sins they committed? It's a great question. Why would God allow a lamb like this who was spotless and perfect and, and sweet and, and beautiful, why would God uh, allow or instruct people to kill an animal uh, instead of just having that person punished? Here's the honest truth. As, mu as much as animals are amazing, you are so much more amazing. Every single human being, boy and girl, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, have a value that far exceeds any animal because you've been created in the image of God. And animals have been given to us for our enjoyment, for our blessing, but they're under our control. They're under our responsibility, and we are to care for them. But here's the ironic thing. When we sin as people, especially in the Old Testament, God says there still has to be something to deal with that sin. There's got to be some way that it's, it's covered over, that it's dealt with. And he says, okay, when you sin, because Adam and Eve sinned, there, there must be bloodshed to cover over that sin. And he said the best way to do it in the Old Testament was to take a spotless lamb and sacrifice it. The problem is when you sacrifice a lamb, just an animal, it just covers over the sin. And it's messy. Thank God that he no longer has us bringing in animals, livestock, whether it's a calf or a lamb or a pigeon, whatever it may be, and spreading the blood. That's what they did in the Old Testament. But God did that to make a way that those sins could be covered over until someone came to take care of the sins once and for all. And you know who that was? Is the Lamb of God, Jesus. The perfect Lamb of God. Look what it says in 1 Peter. This is the good news. We no longer have to bring animals in here to, and spill their blood because Jesus allowed his blood to be shed. Look what it says. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from your empty life you inherited from your ancestors. He says God saved us from sin and the blood covering through animals. Here's how he did it. Not by mere silver or gold which lose their value. But it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. That's the good news. While it may not make sense of how the Father worked through sin in the Old Testament, it is such a blessing that now our sins are forgiven because Jesus' blood was, was shed. That's why we celebrate every week. In just, in just a few moments, we're going to go to a time of communion. If you didn't get a communion cup, you can get one at one of the entrances. But in, in communion every week, we remember that Jesus' blood was shed so we don't have to kill animals. That as we trust in his sacrifice on the cross, we can live forever. And it leads us to another question, though, that kids often ask. I, I did children's church for years in Hersher, And almost every Sunday, a child would come to me and say, Hey, my friends get to take communion and I can't. Anybody ever heard that question from a child, a, a, maybe a grandchild or a friend? It's a real question. And I'm going to allow some of my best friends to share that with you. Brian and Kenley Grove are going to come and answer that question now. It's really neat to see all you kids out there with us. Uh, I know 
sometimes big church isn't quite as exciting as what Tiffany and Andrea and Michelle can do in children's church, but we really appreciate it. Whenever I speak to other people, other elders from other churches and things, one of the things I always brag about FCC is that we are a five-generation church, and on special Sundays kind of like this, you can see a four-year-old sitting next to a 40-year-old or an 80-year-old and all glorying to God together. So it's really cool to see that. Um, that's a good question. You know, why can my uh, friends take communion and I can't? And I can remember when I was a real little guy uh, at Toledo Christian Church kind of asking the same question uh, and thinking, man, that looks really neat to be able to take that little tiny cracker and to take that juice. Uh, and why, when can I get to do that and why can't I do that right now? But the good thing is we don't have to think real hard on that because Jesus himself answered that question for us. Uh, and so in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, uh, For I received from the Lord that I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, uh, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat, and, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And so that's kind of the thing. Uh, when you become old enough and kind of mature enough to understand what this means, that is when it's time to take communion. But to, to understand that, you have to become a believer uh, in Jesus, a believer. You have to give your life to him. Uh, you have to repent from your sins. And when you understand that and are baptized, then you are mature enough to kind of understand every time we take communion, we are remembering that gift, that death, that sacrifice that Jesus gave for us. Uh, and so that becomes a really special time for you, just as it does all the other people who are doing that. The neat thing about our church, too, is you do not have to be a member of FCC to be able to take communion with us. Uh, it is open to all believers of all churches, believers of the kingdom of God. Uh, and so it's really neat that you can be completely a visitor or first time uh, with total strangers, and then you can come to the Lord's Supper, uh, the communion time together, and then partake with these brand new believers that you didn't know uh, and remember that death and sacrifice that God made for us. Um, <clears throat> so if you are a believer, would you prepare the bread as we partake? We take this as a remembrance of his broken body on the cross. And the juice, uh, a remembrance of his blood that was shed for us and endlessly every day. Would you bow your heads? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful opportunity um, to learn more about you and to get these questions answered from these kids. Um, I thank you for the sacrifice of the true lamb and that we can have hope in you that one day we will have eternal life with you in heaven. Amen.
Amen. Here's a fair question that follows communion that has been asked a few times. It didn't actually get handed in, but why does the grape juice taste so bad now? I, I don't have the answer for that. Um, it's about what it represents that matters. Here's the next question. Why did Jesus wait two days until going back to Judea to help Lazarus? Lazarus was one of Jesus' best friends. He got a report that he was very sick, and he waited. The question is, why did he wait? It's that question, why, why did my friend get sick? Why, why, did, why did this happen? Sometimes we don't know. Sometimes God's way he works is weird. But I love it when Jesus just tells us why he waited. Look what it says in John 11. The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that the God's Son may be glorified through it. So Jesus tells us, he goes, this is all happening. I am waiting. I'm even letting death come, even though it won't end in death. I'm letting death come so that God would be glorified. There are times when bad things happen, and the purpose that God may not intervene right at first is because he's showing his power, even in his absence, even in his patience. Let me remind you that Jesus stayed away during that time. By the time he got to Lazarus, the Bible tells us that his body was decaying. It stunk. It was a mess. Mary and Martha were, were broken by this. So this is just a, a potential image of what this may have looked like. Lazarus died, and they're like, why isn't Jesus here? They buried him. And then Jesus was able to, to come, and they're saying, hey, you could have came earlier. He wouldn't have died. He goes, hey, this is going to be for his glory. And then he tells Lazarus, come out of the tomb. And Lazarus stands up and comes out of the tomb, and God is glorified. The message of Jesus spreads like wildfire. Jesus has power over death. He, he, he brought this man who was, who was sick and has died and, and was decaying, and he gave him brand new life. But even in that, Martha asked a question, and this young person took this question to a whole other level. Why did Martha question Jesus when, he, when she knew he was good? Okay, Jesus had come back, and, and they're still, Martha's like, hey, Jesus, why, did, why didn't you come? Why would Martha do that? I think Martha has every right to do that. And Jesus, come up with this. Jesus knew how much Martha loved Lazarus. Jesus, uh, Martha knew how much Jesus loved him also. She, she's like, why didn't you come back? And I, I want us to give, give Martha a, a break here for a moment. She, her heart was broken in pain. And she had every right to say, what's going on? I want you to know if your heart is broken into pain right now, Jesus can handle the questions. If something of this world doesn't make sense, don't be like, I can't ask Jesus that. No, he wants to know because it, asks, uh, him, it gives him the ability to ask even other questions. One of the most famous passages of all the Bible follows Martha's questioning of Jesus. In the midst of her pain and her broken heart, in the midst of the mess, Jesus gets to declare something. Look what he says in John chapter 11. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He looks right to Martha. Do you believe this? That I'm the one that provides life even in death. And here was her answer. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, whom, who is to come into the world. Martha says, yes, I believe. What's a beautiful thing, in the midst of her pain and in her problems with Jesus not being there at first, it gives her a chance to be one of the first people to declare, I believe you are who you say you are, Jesus. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and in you is life, and that gives us hope, and it changes everything. She was able to declare that because she asked questions. 
I pray that you keep asking questions and find that hope that changes everything. I wonder what questions you have today. Jesus can handle them. It may be, what's the deal with COVID? Why, why did my loved one have cancer? Well, why, why do I have a cash flow problem? Why do my kids keep doing things I don't want them to do? You can ask all the questions you want, but at the end of the day, Jesus is like, do you trust me? And if you trust me, you'll live even if you die. It's heavy, but there's so much hope. I got another question that's hard to understand sometimes. This is a great question. Uh, why can't we eat inside of McDonald's? It's a question that's fair. I mean, anybody know that answer to that? I'm not, I haven't been able to find that out yet. So it's a, how, how many of you had kids or someone ask you that question in the last few months? Okay, it's a real. Why can't we eat inside of McDonald's? Um, you know, you got to take your orders to go, especially here in Greenville. If you're in Greenville and want to eat inside of McDonald's, it's not going to happen. Walk across the parking lot and go to Lou Bob's. You'll get a great meal inside. Okay, take my word for it. I can't explain everything. Here's a, here's a question I've been asked probably more than any other working with children, and I love this question. Can I be baptized? Can I get baptized? Over the course of my ministry, a children's ministry, student ministry, now as a pastor, I love it when kids come to me, Tyson, uh, I've been talking to my parents, can I get baptized? I love that question. I wish, I wish all of you would, would at the, if you've not been baptized, you're like, can I get baptized? Can I get baptized? I would love to be able to be a little bit like Oprah and be like, you can get baptized. You can get baptized. You can get, everybody can get baptized. You can get baptized. You know, but if we get baptized without really wrestling with the reality, you know what happens? You just get wet. Nobody wants to just get wet. It's just like taking a bath. So I need to ask you some questions. If your question is, can I get baptized? Like Brian said, like Jesus said, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you believe that he died for your sins? Do you trust that he came back to life and now reigns as the King of kings and Lord of lords in, heavens, in heaven? Have you said you're sorry for your past and say, God, I want to change? We call that repentance, just like Balaam did. He turned and went the other way. If you've done those things and your heart is clean about that, if you're willing to say with your mouth, I believe that Jesus is the Christ and I want to make him Lord in my life, it's very likely it's time for you to get baptized. And if you haven't, whether you're 12 or 42 or 102, it's time. I would ask you this based on Scripture. What are you waiting for? Look, it says in Acts chapter 22, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Tyson, this is really a kid's Sunday, right? No, this is a family Sunday. And there's some of you that have not been a child for a long time. You ask it once, but for some reason you put it off. And your heart is saying deep down inside, but you haven't said it out loud for a while, can I be baptized? And the answer is you better very soon. You better uh, become uh, fully uh, submissive to what God's doing in your life and have your sins washed away because you can't deal with your sins on your own. But the good news is because Jesus died and his blood was shed for you, your sins can be gone forever as you put your faith in Christ. Amen? We like to think these are kid questions, but these are questions for each and every one of us. And I would pray today that if someone is considering being baptized, you don't put it off. That you become brand new through Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. Here's the final question of the day that I really have the least amount of clarity on, but I love it. Will we be able to fly in heaven? I sure hope so. Who doesn't want to fly someday, right? Even if you're scared of heights, know this, if you can fly, you can stop before you hit the ground, right? There is some evidence, though, to answer this question in the Bible. I don't know if we'll be able to fly in heaven forever, 
But look what 1 Thessalonians says. It's talking about when Jesus returns, you know, like uh, when the trumpet blasts and he's up in the sky and he returns for the first time to call us home. Look what it says. We who are still alive, if you're alive when that happens and you're left, you'll be caught up together with others, with them, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Who are these others? These are people that have died before us. Something miraculous is going to happen. They're going to be raised and be with Jesus. And then we who are still left are going to fly up and meet them. That's the way. It's like that old song, Ah, fly away, oh glory, ah. You know that song? That's where this comes from, this idea that there'll be a day where we fly up and meet Jesus in the air. What an amazing testimony of what God's going to do. While that may not continue, maybe we get to heaven then and God says, okay, no more flying for a while. That's fine with me. But look what he says will happen. This is what will happen. Our citizenship will be in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we, excuse me, so that they will be like his glorious body. One thing I do know about heaven is... Our bodies are going to be brand new. We're going to have a glorious body. No more cancer. No more uh, cuts that hurt for a long time. Uh, No more pain that cannot be taken away. We're going to have a, a new glorious body like his glorious body. That's the way God's going to work. That's about that's his business, is that we can be with him through Jesus. Remember the first words that Jesus spoke that we have recorded in the Bible were two questions. Why are you searching after me? Didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? God's work is hard to understand sometimes. But I love at the end of Jesus' life, do you know, anybody know what he said right before he died on the cross? Was it a question or a statement? Anybody know? It's a statement. Simple statement. It's finished. What, What was finished? The work he had to do from the father. Jesus knew he had come to do the Father's business and his work, and his final ultimate act of work, his business, was that he would die for you and I. And whenever he was on the cross and he was about to take his last breath, he declared, I've come to do what my Father's business, and it is finished. It's complete. And the people took notice that were around him. The centurion soldiers... They'd ask a bunch of questions the last couple of days as the trial went on and, and he was rushed off to the, the cross. They said, who is this man? They said things like, is he really the Messiah like he claims? How, how could he call himself the Son of God? They asked all these questions. But then when he died and he said, it is finished and there was an earthquake, look what happened. When the centurion and those with him that were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened. Remember, all these things happened. The sky went dark and all these things happened. They were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. I want you to know here, when Jesus died, there was no question in these guys' mind who killed him that he was who he said he was. So today, no matter how old you are, uh, the real point of this is God uh, had led Jesus to do his work. And when his work was done, everybody on earth knew at that moment. Do you know that today? I hope there's no question in your mind. I love the fact that we can ask questions, but there must be a point where you say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son living God, and in that I find hope, and that hope changes everything. Would you stand with me? Father in heaven, I pray that today, if maybe one person is here that has never answered that question yet,
that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, that they would do that. And they wouldn't wait uh, years to be baptized, that they would do that soon and have their sins washed away to live with you forever. Lord, if someone needs to make that decision or just talk and ask more questions, we're here. I pray they would move and begin to declare and to, to grow in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.